Let's pray. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your words and apply them to our lives this day, Lord Jesus. Amen. Scripture for this morning. We have two passages. The first is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And the second is from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, all the way to chapter 10, verse 15. Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. The J James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and, your, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that, than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Hello, good morning, everybody. I am uh, Corey Garrett. I'm not Pastor Corey. Um, Lisa gave me a quick promotion there, so I'll thank her for that later. But I, I'm not the pastor. Uh, I'm a member here at the barn. You're going to hear from Pastor Matt in a little bit. My iPad is not turning on here, so I'll 
rely on, on you guys back there to, to help me with the slides. Let me just get situated here. So, many of you don't know me, uh, some of you do, but um, many of you know that we um, are not usually in the United States, we're not usually here at the barn, although this is our, our home church. Uh, we're usually in a very special country called uh, Senegal in West Africa. And uh, we have been here for a while, but we've been working towards uh, getting back to Senegal. Many of you know we've planned to go this summer, but this week we actually uh, bought our tickets for June 29th. So that's a praise. We're really uh, excited about that. But at the same time, there is some trepidation or some, some feelings of nervousness um, that come with that. We, we have been in Senegal for a number of years, so it's not about going to Senegal yet. We know that we, we know what awaits us there. We've been there. We know that it is a place of great resistance to the gospel and little fruit. Um, you know, when we first went, we're 25 years old, and, you know, we're pretty excited, pretty excited, and, and kind of naive. We had a lot of hopes and dreams and, like, kind of images of what it was going to go like, and most of that has not happened. And so over the years, you know, we've discovered why Senegal and Senegal are they're very close. You know, you know, now when we see, uh, you know, young people come over as missionaries and we see they arrive, you know, we just look at them and we say, oh, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> we know what's coming. We know what's, what, what awaits them. Um, in fact, I, I recently dug up some old photographs of, of me right before we went to Senegal. Uh, so put, put up that first picture. These are, these are archival photographs. <laughs> so a lot of, lot of excitement here. Uh, and then recently, uh, somebody was able to snap a photo of me as I was doing some counseling with a prospective missionary, uh, you know, uh, looking at going to the mission field. And, and yet, even though there is kind of this sense of we're ready to downshift a little bit, we're ready to relax, we're ready to maybe not be so, quite so emotionally involved with the mission, just go and kind of do our work. Long story, but I've felt that God has been speaking to me about a recommissioning or, or a renewing of our call. And so... That's also got me a little bit worried because uh, for those of you who have been around um, a while, you remember what it used to be like to be a Red Sox fan. Every spring, kind of some excitement until things start to, you know, uh, the wheels start to fall off the bus. So that's the kind of excitement that I kind of um, almost like, yes, I'm excited, and yet I've been down this road before. I know the rejection or even more the disinterest that we are faced with when we share about Jesus. How can I accept this renewed excitement and yet do it in such a way that I don't flirt with burnout again? Maybe you are in the same situation you've shared about the gospel with your communities, with your friends, families, and gotten a lot of disinterest, maybe some rejection and anger, but probably a lot of disinterest. How can you get to the point where you can hear and obey the, the instructions of Jesus? So we, 
we heard today to go out and proclaim the kingdom. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, that would be better than what I, I don't even have the confidence to share my faith in the first place to experience the disinterest and rejection. How can I get to the place where I'm ready to go through that to share about Jesus? In the series that we're doing here at the barn right now, um, we're, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, and looking at the whole Gospel of Matthew. We're looking at Matthew through the lens of the Lord's Prayer, looking at Matthew uh, through the lens of the Lord's Prayer. Did I say that twice the same way? I'm looking at the Lord's Prayer through the lens of Matthew, looking at Matthew through the lens of the Lord's Prayer. In our passage today, we can hear Jesus saying something to us in this situation. Because God empowers our witness, we should persevere. Where does our story begin? Uh, Jesus is with his disciples. They're going through, you know, the, 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 the villages of, of Israel, and they're proclaiming the message and healing people. And Jesus sees the crowds, and his compassion goes out to them. And you can go to the next. There we go. I'm in <clears throat> verse 36. He says, when, the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So this compassion and this sheep without a shepherd... Uh, when you hear sheep without a shepherd, uh, a lot of times you can uh, find that uh, kind of phrase in the Old Testament. They're talking about when leaders are bad. When leaders are bad, Israel's like sheep without a shepherd. They go their own way. They do their own thing. They don't know what the right thing to do is. And certainly that's here. Just before this story, uh, Jesus is, uh, heals a man unable to speak. And the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So certainly we have the leaders are not doing the right thing. They're not uh, instructing people in the right way. But you also have this sense of the people are lost. Uh, we see this in our communities today too. People are lost. They're spiritually sick. When you live your life in disconnection from God, you, you get spiritually sick. We have this chasing after idols, things that really don't fulfill you. You have people saying, well, if you're thirsty, just imagine that you've drunk water already. That's the way to deal with thirst. You have other people who say, well, I think we were never really thirsty any, at all. We just were drinking water out of force of habit. But you can, you can be free of drinking water. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you living water. You have these people who don't want this water. And not only do they not want it, they, they think that when you are offering them water, you're doing something that is arrogant or selfish. That's what we're dealing with. And so when we look at our communities in Simsbury and in Senegal, we feel a great compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're thirsty and they think that these other things are going to satisfy. So, when we see our communities, we have compassion on them. Jesus did the same thing. He saw his communities. He had compassion on them. What is his solution? In 937, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, let me tell you, it's up to you. If you don't do it, nobody will. You need to do something right now. No, that's not what he says. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go to the next slide, please. He prays for us, not to us. When we see the people who are living and dying without hearing about Jesus in a way they can understand, he prays for us, not to us. He doesn't say, you've got to do something. He says, I'm going to do something. A lot of times we take these responsibilities or this guilt on us, or on ourselves, and sometimes you see people put it on other people. I, I, I can't resist reading you this little story. Daniel Doriani is a seminary professor. He says this. One day I was speaking to some church leaders on the topic of motivation to evangelism. I said, we should never seek to motivate people to serve Jesus through guilt. We should not say, if you don't go, if you won't serve, no one will. If you don't volunteer as an usher or as a bus driver, a nursery worker, we may have to close this ministry down. We should not say, if you don't share the gospel with family, friends, and neighbors, no one will. If you don't, they will call your name on the last days they plunge to eternal doom, crying, why didn't you tell me? As I finished my point, someone from the front, uh, front row blurted out a question. Don't motivate by guilt. What else is there? Immediately, a voice came from the back of the room. Fear. This is not the teaching of Jesus. This is not what we're talking about. You see things that are going wrong. You see things that need to be changed. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest for his harvest. How does he, how does he equip us? How does he, how does he act through prayer? Just praying, how is that going to change things? Well, I, that would be a whole other message, but I'm just going to do, hit a couple of points that uh, will not exhaust the subject. When we pray, we're recognizing his sovereignty, his initiative in this work. It orients our hearts, so just praying does that. But he also acts supernaturally on our hearts to reassure, convince, and calm our hearts as we go out. Remember, it's his work. It, he calls it his harvest, not our harvest in 938. But he does actually do more than that. He actually changes our hearts and enlarges them. Many times, if we're in ministry with people, different kinds of ministries, we, we, we find ourselves running low on faith, hope, and love. If you are in a ministry and you find yourself running low on those things, the first thing to do is probably to take a nap or take a break in some way. But that has a finite a finite return, you see. You need more faith, hope, and love to minister than you have uh, on your own, even with naps and breaks. I love naps, but it's not going to get you there. He readies our hearts, but he also readies the hearts of our hearers. We know that people will not accept this message if the Holy Spirit does not turn their hearts and open them to the message. I I'm going to stop there. There's more to be said. But what else do we learn from Jesus about this connection between prayer and our witness? There's some interesting parallels in the Lord's Prayer to what we're learning about here. In the Lord's Prayer, the first three petitions, a large part, not all of it, but a large part of what Jesus is teaching us to pray in the Lord's Prayer is about our witness in the world. Uh, there's actually only a couple of places that Jesus teaches us what to pray. Of course, one is the Lord's Prayer. This is really the other one. 
there's a couple other places, uh, many other places that he teaches us how to pray without ceasing, uh, you know, persistently, that kind of thing. And there's a couple of places where he, teach, he says to the disciples, pray for this right now. But as far as teaching on prayer, there's only a couple uh, that I could find. That's my own uh, research, so you could maybe find some others. If you do find them, uh, please forward them to me. Um, but just emphasizing the connection between this prayer that we're learning here and the Lord's Prayer. Uh, let me explain what I'm talking about here. When Jesus prays that uh, may people know that you are holy, hallowed be your name, uh, he's talking about his name, he's talking about uh, not the name, but his reputation. We, in English, say, hey, uh, you, you know, your kid does something bad at school. He says, hey, you're dragging my good name through the mud. You're not talking about the name, you're talking about the reputation. So the reputation of God is being sullied by by what the people are doing. If you say, sorry, I'm getting myself out of order. When, hallowed be your name. When people are living in justice and righteousness, then that is bringing honor to God's name, to his reputation. Uh, there's uh, several examples you can probably think of um, of uh, the people of Israel doing the opposite, bringing not honor to God's name, but dishonor or profaning the name of God. Uh, the one that I'm most familiar with is actually a quotation from the Old Testament in Romans 2.23. Paul says, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When God's people live in sin and unrighteousness, that brings dishonor to God's name. When they live in righteousness, when they live, when they follow God's law, when they demonstrate who God is to the watching world, then they're bringing honor to God's name or hallowing God's name. So <clears throat> when, God, uh, when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name, not exhaustively, but a big part of what we're talking about is our witness in the world. Uh, when Jesus prays, your kingdom come, he's praying that uh, God would enable the knowledge and reality of God's rule to be made real in the world. Uh, and in a large part through the lives of his followers. Certainly we could think of uh, ways that God might orchestrate events in the world so that his kingdom would come, but a lot of it is us living out what he's asked us to do, that we, have, we see the kingdom come in the world. Justice, compassion, community. I think we can also think of, you know, the second coming and Jesus installing finally and forever his kingdom. But right now there is a sense that we are making his kingdom come. When Jesus prays, may your will be done, of course, he's talking to us. May we know and do what his will is, but also may we kind of help others to understand what his will is and help them to, to do it. So there's some parallels here. May your kingdom come and may your will be done as a positive expression for what Jesus wants to see in the world. And harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd is kind of the negative expression of that same thought. If you don't have these things, you have these things. If you don't have his kingdom, you have sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus prays these things in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus asks us to pray for workers, for God to send workers out into the Lord, uh, to the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest, he's praying for something to be done in our community, in our lives. Again, I'm not saying this is all he's saying, but this is certainly some of what he's getting at. So when we see the needs, we need to go to prayer first. Not rush first to solve it, or as we more often maybe do, just worry about it. 
He's asking us to pray. When we see a need, human trafficking, uh, people living and dying without hearing about Jesus, he's asking us to pray first. Now in that prayer, you may find that you are a part of the answer to that prayer. But you would not be the answer to the prayer if you didn't pray the prayer. You wouldn't be the answer to that need if you did not pray. This does not mean, however, that it is likely that God has called you to pray prayer alone without action. Very unlikely. But prayer should be the first thing that we should think of. Do you feel unready and unprepared for what God might call you to do if you do pray a prayer like, Lord, send out workers into your harvest? Well, good. That means you're in the right place. So when you feel unprepared, when you feel that you're not ready, pray to the Lord to send out workers into his harvest. God empowers our witness through prayer. What else do we learn about our witness here? Please go to the next slide here. After this one. So in Matthew 10, 5 through 15, uh, what's that? No problem. That's not a problem. So open your Bibles to, just kidding. I'm going to read it to you. So Matthew 10, 5 through 15. So I'm going to read it again. Okay, we read it earlier, but I'm going to read it again. There's a couple of housekeeping things I want to go over just so you don't get distracted by them, and then we're going to get back to God empowering our witness. Uh, The 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, let me just pause there. Uh, So, go to the house of uh, Israel is where we are in salvation history at this time. He, of course, changes this in the very same book in Matthew 28. says, go to all nations. But at this time, this is consistent with where we are in salvation history. Uh, In the Old Testament, God was reaching out to the nations through Israel, demonstrating his holiness through Israel. And we're still in that time. We're about to change things up. And uh, Jesus is going to send his disciples into the nations. But this is consistent with where we are right now. Again, Jesus will change it in just a few chapters. Um, he also says, take no supplies. Um, we're in verse 9. Uh, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So he says, don't take anything along with you. Now he changes this again in Luke 22 before he is crucified. He says, now, I said before, do this, but now do please take things with you. Um, so just a couple of thoughts here. I think this goes back to give us our daily bread. I think this is a a time where Jesus wanted the disciples to really uh, experience God's love for them. You know, they'd been kind of like walking with Jesus, but now they're going to be without Jesus and ministering. And I think he wanted to experience in a visceral way, uh, kind of God's one-to-one provision for them. Not just, not just God loves Jesus. God does love Jesus, but he loves them too, and he's walking with them. It also shows that there's a variety of methods that we use in ministry. Ministry, uh, even in the New Testament, takes widely varying forms. And so when we think about ministry in Simsbury, it's going to be different than in Senegal or in Texas or in somewhere, uh, some other uh, place. So just a couple of items there. Now, what does the witness look like? So those are things that kind of were changed that I want you to get distracted by them. But now we want to talk about what is the message that he asks his disciples to take out and what actions does he ask them to perform. So I'm in chapter 10. 
He says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, some of you, if I'd gotten up and I said, hey, I'm going to preach a sermon, and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and said, thank you, it's been a wonderful time, and sat down, some of you would say, hooray, hallelujah, hosanna, the sermon was short today. The disciples' sermons were not that short. This is a, a summary statement of what they were saying. Probably they had almost memorized, say, the Sermon on the Mount and were kind of like giving the highlights of Jesus' teachings as they had memorized them. So we shouldn't think that this is the, 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 the end of the sermon, but what does this mean? Now, the question is, what does this mean for the people back at this time? And also, what does this mean for people who did not believe in Jesus at that time, and also for people today who don't believe in Jesus? I know that there's probably several people in this room who have not yet said, hey, I'm all in on Jesus. I believe in him. I'm living for him. He's my Lord. So I just want to address for, 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 for those people and also for, for the rest of us, what do we mean when we say the kingdom of heaven is at hand? We say, this is good news, but what's good about that news? I remember when Russia first uh, invaded Ukraine, I thought to myself, the people of Russia are going to rise up and overthrow Putin and these, these corrupt overlords, and uh, the, the international community, the sanctions will basically make it so that they cannot continue with this war. Um, the, the, the suffering will not continue. But here we are more than a year later, and it's still going on. What I want is for those responsible to be punished. I want for the people who've been hurt, uh, maimed, injured, killed during this conflict to be gathered up and loved. I want, in other words, justice to be done. I want things to be like they were meant to be. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. When history comes to a close... And Jesus returns as the rightful king and installs his kingdom. Justice will be served. The evil will be punished. The people who have been hurt will be cared for. Every tear will be wiped away. That is the kingdom is at hand. That's the good news. In your own life, you've been wronged. Innocence stolen. Somebody that you trusted let you down. You want to be made whole. You want that trust to be reestablished. You want, if I can say it, your innocence back. The kingdom of heaven means that's possible. Healing is possible. Growth is possible. You have something that you keep doing that you would love to stop. It's basically ruining your life. The kingdom of heaven as a hand means God's rule being a reality. Freedom is possible. The kingdom of heaven also means some other things. It means that if justice is coming, if you're thinking about it, you're going to start saying, well, if justice is coming, it's coming for me too. And I remember some of the things that I've done. I remember some of the things that I've done to people that I love, betrayed them. 
I remember some of the things that I've done or said in anger that when I think of them make me break out into a cold sweat. I've got those. The kingdom of heaven in the larger story of Jesus that we'll talk about more on Easter Sunday, his death and resurrection mean that you can have freedom from those things that bind you, those sins that tie you to a past you wish you could escape. This is good news. A lot of times we are told Christians' messages, God doesn't like you very much, but if you try real hard, you never know. We're told that so much that we almost believe it. That is not our message. Our message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Things are going to be made right. If you're in him, you will be made whole, and that can start today. This is not just a fairy tale that makes us feel good, like Star Wars. This is bedrock reality. Jesus is the hero behind all the heroes. The proof is in the resurrection from the dead. If you have never looked at the proofs for the historicity of the resurrection, I encourage you to do it. If you haven't done it in a long time, I encourage you to do it again. It's pretty encouraging. Just think of it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is something that's worth proclaiming. A lot of you, if you have spent a long time in the Lord, you forget what it's like out there. You start to think, everybody feels basically like I do. No. If you've been a long time in the Lord, I just want to remember, remind you of what it's like out there. With the guilt and the shame bottled up with nowhere to go. This is a message that people need to hear, even if at first they don't want to hear it. A couple other things that we want to talk about here that can distract us. Uh, you, you know how uh, in an email it's hard to, it's hard to tell the tone? Uh, it kind of sounds like Jesus is being a little bit vindictive here, but let's look at exactly what he's, he, what he's saying. Verse 14. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Now, in Senegal, doctors have a thing they do. This sounds crazy, but if you have a terminal disease, they will tell you, you're fine, take some Tylenol, go home. They do that because they don't want to worry the person, and there's some cultural things that go around that. But what kind of doctor would you like? Would you like a doctor who says, you're fine, go home? Or would you like to say, uh, a doctor who says to you, you're really, really sick? <laughs> you, you need to do this to get well. I think most of us would like to know what's wrong with us. And when Jesus told his disciples to shake the dust off their feet, he's trying to enable them to tell people, this is serious business. You're very sick. He wants to impress upon them the seriousness of the message, not because he doesn't like them, but because he loves them. Verse 15, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. Remember when Jesus approached Jerusalem? What did he do over it? Did he laugh over Jerusalem and say, you're about to go to destruction? No. He cried over the city and he cries over these people as he says this. So we have the message. We also have the demonstration of the kingdom. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out the demons. I wish I did more miracles. I don't do very many. But in that time, 
there was a lot of miracles. Now, miracles, we see a, a lot of them where there's persecution and when there's a change in era of salvation history. And right now, what we're talking about is a change in era of salvation history. Right now, if you go to the Middle East or some other places where there's lots of persecution, there are a lot of miracles. But we don't see a lot in Simsbury. But those miracles are demonstration, demonstrations of the kingdom of God. And that we can do as well uh, through ministering to people who are broken, ministering to people who are hurting, telling people about Jesus. When we tell people, clearly, it needs to be in a contextual way. So I just want to repeat that. I don't want people to go out and start just telling people about Jesus willy-nilly. It has to be in a way that makes sense and communicates the truth in a way that people can understand in the different contexts. The way that I do it in Senegal is going to be different than the way you do it in Simsbury. So we're talking about a lot of good things. And you're probably thinking, oh, Corey, did you forget about your second point? It was... God empowers our witness in weakness. It's all been sounding pretty good right now, you know, up to this point. But in the following verses, and in the rest of chapter 10, basically Jesus outlines a low return and a high price. He tells us that we're going to be um, judged. We're going to be executed. And yet, through this work, the kingdom of heaven is going to make progress. He demonstrated the same in his own life. We're celebrating Palm Sunday today when he clearly showed to the religious leaders, to the political leaders, who he was, the king of creation. And they struck him down for it. And yet in that apparent defeat, that momentary failure, he brought about the greatest victory in salvation history. Jesus tells us and shows us how it's going to go. We are not going to go out there and start telling people about Jesus and have everybody accept the message. That's just not what's going to happen. He says that right here in Scripture. When we imagine that we're going to go out and start telling people about Jesus and everybody's going to believe it, we're getting that from somewhere else. We're getting that from, from our own imagination. Jesus says no to that. He says it's not going to be like that. If you are a baseball player and you think you're going to hit every every ball that comes to you, you're going to be pretty disappointed. If you go out and tell people about Jesus and you think everybody's going to listen to you, you're going to be disappointed. I, over the years, I've gotten to think of it in terms of, in terms of like a one in ten in Senegal. One in ten people who uh, will, that you talk to will kind of listen to you, and then one in ten of those people will want to go further. So think about that expectation. If you can imagine us in Senegal, we've talked to eight people and experienced disinterest eight times in a row. We start to get what? They're pretty excited because we're getting to the end of our 10. Expectations matter. Jesus sets up our expectations for just in a very clear way. If you look at the call of the disciples, uh, not the call, but the, the listing of the disciples in 10, 1 through 5, you'll see a lot of guys who, you know their names, but a lot of guys who we don't know anything about beside their name. And this is another part of our expectations. We can't think that we're going to go out and all plant a church, start a people group movement. It's going to be slow. It's going to be empowered by God, but it's going to be very slow. I heard a colleague recently talk about firemen. And he said, firemen, 
you, you want to keep them safe. You don't want them to, you want to send them into dangerous situations. But if you have a fireman that you say, that fire is too dangerous, I don't want you to go into the fire, then the fireman is not fulfilling his, 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 his role, right? We want to keep the firemen safe. We want to give them good equipment and everything, but then we want to send them into the fire so they can save people. In the same way, if we are so safe, we never experience any rejection, any of the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 10, we're not fulfilling our role. But a renewed confidence in God's power for his task, coupled with a renewed expectation that he will work, but it will be a work characterized with by, uh, let's say, great joy and also much rejection. And that rejection is okay. If we remember that, there will be a source of peace and encouragement. God empowers our witness by prayer, so we should persevere. God empowers our witness in weakness, so we should persevere. What does this look like for us as we think about returning to Senegal? I don't think it's an easy, quick fix. I think the answer is abiding in Him keeping in mind what he said, believing what he said, and continuing on in the footsteps of the master. For you, I do hope that you will also abide in Christ in the knowledge that it's his harvest. Our first action is to pray and that our witness will be carried out in weakness. I pray that he would send out laborers into his harvest and that you would be among them and that you would have the joy of seeing the harvest come in. I also pray that you would experience what Jesus promised when he said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your new life that you give us. Help us to more and more take hold of it. We pray that you would send out workers into your harvest. Amen.